Daniel. Okay, good afternoon, everybody. Gemar Chatima Tova. I hope everyone had a good Rosh Hashanah. Bezrat Hashem. Shekol Hatfilot Hit Kablu Beratzon. That all of our tefillas were received. Um, and the Kosh Baruch Hu will view them favorably and answer all our requests. Okay, as we're moving on into Aseritime Chuba, and this is the last year, both before Yom Kippur and before uh, and before Sukkot. So we're going to divide today's year, both in uh, half, we're going to deal with laws of Yilchot Yom Kippur uh, and fasting. And the second half, we'll be dealing with how to choose a uh, Lula Benetro. Okay, so let's begin. The Gemara in Masechet Yuma, Pei Aleph, tells us that besides for there to be a prohibition from the Torah to fast, uh, to eat on Yom Kippur, there's an added mitzvah, and that is to eat Erev Yom Kippur. And we have to see what the, 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 the nature of this mitzvah is. Is it all right to the Rabbanan? But says the Gemara in Masechet Yuma, Pei Aleph, the Tani Chia Barav Midifti, the Torah tells us that we have to afflict ourselves right, on the ninth. The Gemara, the Gemara asks, why are we uh, uh, fasting on the ninth? The Torah, the Torah tells us that Yom Kippur is actually on the tenth. So what is it saying? Anyone who eats and drinks on the ninth, meaning the day, Erev Yom Kippur, the Torah views it as if he fasted two days, both on the ninth and the tenth. And because of this, it seems like this trasha is actually from the Pasuk itself. And therefore, this din of eating on Arab Yom Kippur, right? Um, is a din the oraita. Let's read Rashi. Kol al the hachi mashmakra, and this is what the verse itself implies. V'initem betisha klomar hafkenat smacha betisha. What is a pshat? You shall afflict yourselves on the ninth. What does it mean? Afflict yourselves on the ninth. Prepare yourself on the ninth in order that you will be able to afflict yourself on the tenth. The Torah uses the language of inui, affliction, to tell you, as if he actually fasted on the ninth as well. Okay, so this is, it, it seems from this Gemara that this is really uh, Connected, it could be even a mitzvah doraita for us to eat on Erev Yom Kippur, for us to prepare ourselves in order to fast on Yom Kippur. The question is, what is the nature of this chiyuv? Why do we have to fast? Why do we have to eat Erev uh, Yom Kippur? And here, Rabbeinu Yonah gives three different explanations. Uh, We're going to focus on the second answer. Ki amim tovim anachnu kovim mitzvah. On the other festivals, we have a Sudat Mitzvah, we have a Sudat of the Chag. Because we should always rejoice 
in fulfilling our mitzvot. And part of that rejoicing is to have a good simch, a, a, a meal, a, a yantif meal. And he quotes a pasuk in Tibri Ayamim, Vata imcha nimsa pora iti basimcha lid nadev lecha. And it says, he quotes the pasuk that we read two weeks ago, Tachad Hashem lo avarat et Hashem lokecha basimcha v'tublei vap, meaning when we are fulfilling a festival, it is very important that we rejoice in fulfilling that mitzvah and have a festive meal. But we can't have a festive meal on Yom Kippur. And therefore, we are obligated to establish a meal Erev Yom Kippur. Meaning, according to Rabbeinu Yonah, the mitzvah over here is really to celebrate the mitzvah that we are going to be doing on Yom Kippur, and that is we're fulfilling our Kodesh Baruch Hu's demand that we inflict, we afflict ourselves, and we should rejoice in that. And how do we rejoice in that? We should be having a festive meal. And because we should be having a festive meal, we can't do it on Yom Kippur, so we do it Erev Yom Kippur. However, there seems to be a, a distinction between Rabbeinu Yonah's understanding versus Rashi's understanding. Rashi seems to be implying that the reason why we have to, uh, why we have to fast, or sorry, why we have to eat Erev Yom Kippur, is literally to make sure that our bodies have enough nutrition in order to get through the fast. According to Rabbeinu Yonah, we really have to make a sauda. And the nafkamina would be whether I should sit down and have a proper meal. Maybe I should have lechem mishnah. Maybe I should set the table. Or, according to Rashi, if I just keep on, uh, you know, nibbling away at food the entire day, that's good enough. I've still fulfilled my obligation. Generally, we try and fulfill the mitzvah in all of its ways. And then so the Shulchan Aruch just says that the mitzvah is to eat on Erev Yom Kippur and to consume a lot of food. It's not so clear, according to the Shulchan Aruch, is he passing it like Rashi or Rabbeinu Yola? But the Ramah adds, You cannot, uh, you cannot fast on this at all. Now, we, we've learned this before, the famous Shiva of Rabbi Akiva Eiga, but uh, I think it's worthwhile going through it again. He gives a fascinating um, dilemma. This is uh, Rabbi Akiva Eger. At the end of his uh, many of his truvas, he, uh, he, he leaves it as a question. Uh, someone went to Rabbi Yashiv and said, uh, I've written a whole book to be metaret every uh, truva of, uh, of Rabbi Akiva Eger. Said there were only two two questions of Rabbi Akiva Zager's troopers where he left Sarichion and I wasn't able to be Matarit. Rabbi Yashiv said, Yofi, you only understood those were the only two uh, questions that you really understood. Anyway, this is a question of the Rabbi Akiva Zager. I am uh, uh, confounded. If they are obligated to eat Erev Yom Kippur. 
uh, Perhaps this is a positive time-bound mitzvah, and that should be exempt. Or no, or do we say no? Since the time eating on the women are obligated to fast on Yom Kippur, so since they connect and by the pasuk itself, but and the Gemara says it's as if I fasted both on the ninth and the tenth. In such a case, me may lack. Anyone who's obligated in fasting, meaning if women are obligated in fasting, they are also obligated to eat Ered Yom Kippur. Now, the truth is, is that this might be dependent, the, the suffix of Rabbi Akiva Hege might be dependent on the two explanations that we saw between Rashi and Rabbeinu Yonah. According to Rashi, the whole purpose of the obligation to eat Ered Yom Kippur is why, in order that we should have enough nutrition to get through the fast. Okay, so if women are also going to be according to Rabbi Yara, this is really a, a, a sudata hachag right? that we just we couldn't have during the during Yom Kippur. So therefore, we should have it ere Yom Kippur. If it's a sudat hag, that sounds like it's not really connected to the fast, and it's a time-bound mitzvah, maybe they would be exempt regarding that. So the suffix of Rabbi Akiva Ege seems to be perhaps connected to the two reasons that we saw between Rabbi Yonah and Rashi. However, his grandson, the Ktav Sofer, the Ktav Sofer was the son of the Khatam Sofer, and the Khatam Sofer was the son-in-law of Rabbi Akiva Ege. What, what, what people don't know is that the Khatam Sofer was only younger than his father-in-law by one year. You know, he was, he was uh, only younger than him by one year, meaning the Khatam Sofer, although he's really the grandson of Rabbi Akiva Ega, um, in terms of his age, he could, he could very well be his son. Anyway, he said as follows. So after he brings his grandfather Safek, he says, I'm certain that women are obligated in eating Erev uh, Yom Kippur for two reasons. Chada, firstly, connected the two and said anyone who eats on the on the ninth is as if he's fasted on the ninth and the tenth. Anyone who's obligated to fast is also obligated to eat. Because a person who is eating is really considered as if he's fasting. And therefore it's like connecting the dinim of Shamor Bezachor. We know that women are obligated that they cannot <coughs> break Shabbos. So one could argue, okay, that's the negative commandment. But the positive commandments of, let's say, saying Kiddush, that is a time-bound mitzvah. Maybe women don't have to hear Kiddush. However, it comes along the Torah and connects Shamor v'Zachor. The Gemara says that the Torah connected Shamor v'Zachor. We have the Aseret Adibot that appear twice in the Torah. 
one in Parshat Ba'etchanan and the other in Parshat, uh, uh, where is it, in the beginning of Shmot, in, uh, where is it? Ah, in Parshat Yitro, of course, Parshat Yitro, and once it says Zachor, and once it says Shamor, to connect the two. So we know that women are also obligated in the negative, in the positive commandments of Shabbat. Says the Ketav Sofer, the same thing over here. There's a positive commandment to eat. It's connected to the negative commandment of fasting, and therefore women are also obligated to eat. That's one reason. The odd beyoter yeshlomar zil He says, furthermore, go after the logic. The cut of Rashi v'zel l'shono. Rashi says, kol ha'ochel v'shoteh, you have to prepare yourself, says Rashi, in order that you are able to fast on the tenth. So he says the, the says the the Ketab Sofer, women are also obligated to prepare themselves. And therefore, says uh, the Ketab Sofer, it is very clear that women are obligated to eat on uh, a shayla uh, would be regarding women that are exempt from fasting. Let's say a woman's just given birth and uh, she doesn't have to fast. So if she doesn't have to fast, is there still a mitzvah for her to eat? Uh, for to eat? If we say that it's in order to help a person fast, so she's not going to fast, so then she doesn't have a mitzvah to eat. If we say they connected in some way, therefore, even though practically she's not fasting, but she's still in principle to fast, and therefore what she can fulfill, which is the eating the day before, maybe she is still obligated. So that's an interesting discussion that we will um, we'll leave now. Um, we'll leave for now. Okay. Let us moving on to the next. And that is Erev Rogivnus from, from uh, our fellow Ben Adam Lachabero that we've done, that we haven't done any sins. Sorry, we've, we might have insulted or hurt someone. This is the time to ask forgiveness. Says the Mishnah in Yuma, Averot Ben Adam Lachabero, Ein Yoma Kippurim Machaper, Ad Shiyirze Chabero. That sins between people, Ben Adam Lachabero, Yom Kippur doesn't help. This is what Rabbi Lazar ben Nazaria said. That all of the sins in front of Hashem you will be purified from. What does this refer to? That is only sins that, ref- that are pertinent to us between us and HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We have to go and appease our friends, our neighbors, our family. And that is why it's very critical that before your Kippur, this is the time to go and ask forgiveness from anyone that we might have slighted, upset in any way during the year. Okay, I'm going to leave the next section because uh, we, we've dealt with it in the past. It's just a discussion whether a person, let's say a person <coughs> paid a damage, you, you, you damage someone's car, you, 
you, you had an accident and you rammed someone's car. And now you, okay, you have to pay the bill. What's the bill? It costs 2,000 shekels to repair the car. You have to pay it. The question is, do you still have to ask forgiveness from that person or not? And this seems to be a contradiction within the shit of the Rambam. And we're not going to go through it, but uh, um, we're, going to, we're going to leave it outside. There are different explanations say that according to the, the Rambam, let's just read the, the Lechem Mishnah. Although the Rambam in Hilchot Shuva Katab Rabbeinu Dago Zelet Chavero no Mitkapelo Elim Ken Yertzel and Ixal Vifayef Soto, that if a person steals from someone else, he is not going to get Kapara until he appeases the person who he stole from. Right? Even though he's already returned the object that he stole. So why is it that in another place the Rambam seemed to. Says the Lechem Mishnah. There are two types of ways in which we can hurt people. One is when we can cause them ogmat nefesh, when we steal from them. And one is not ogmat nefesh. I didn't intend to, to get any benefit. I made a mistake. I was reversing and my car went into the neighbor. If I pay the, if I, as long as I repay that, according to the Lechem Mishnah, I don't need to ask forgiveness more than that. However, if I try to get benefit by stealing or doing something to the other party, that is when the Rambam says, even though I've repaid the stolen object, I would still need to go ahead and ask forgiveness from that person. This is also brought down in the Shulchan Aruch. That Yom Kippur is not going to help us between sins, between people, and therefore we need to appease all those who we have upset. Even if the damage that we caused was only by words, we all know that words uh, can sometimes be a lot more damaging than physical abuse. And therefore, one needs to appease the person and ask for forgiveness. And person has to go a first time to ask forgiveness, a second time, a third time. And every time he has to go with three people. Three times come to ask forgiveness. If you went to ask forgiveness and the person didn't forgive, you don't, you're, you're now pattern. You've done your part. You don't have to worry about it. However, says the Mishnah Bura, but if he's your rabbi, if we're talking about a person who is a, uh, if we're talking about a person who is a your rabbi, your teacher, three times is not enough. You have to go as many times until he is appeased. Right? Tov. Um, that's that's one of the. Okay, let let's move on. I'm just going to 
let's move on to the laws of fasting and do this. Uh, so we discussed there's a mitzvah to eat Arab Yom Kippur. There's a special mitzvah to ask for forgiveness from all the people that you need, that you might have hurt during the year. And now we go to the actual Yom Kippur itself. And we know in Yom Kippur, there are five afflictions that Chazal in Torah Shabal Peh explained to us what the word the first is fasting. The second is we're not allowed to anoint ourselves. We're not allowed to wash ourselves. We're not allowed to have marital relations. And we're not allowed to wear leather shoes. Those are the five separate prohibitions that we're not allowed to do on Yom Kippur, all of those things are under the category of afflicting ourselves. Now, the Pasuk says, right? And you have to afflict yourselves. And we said one of those afflictions is regarding eating and drinking. And this is how the Shulchan Aruch Paskins, usually, Whenever we talk about eating, we talk about a kazayit. Here on Yom Kippur, in order for a person to get karet, a large date, which is bigger than a kazayit, so it's slightly less than an egg, but more than an olive. And this size for solid foods is, uh, is, is the same regarding all people, whether you're a giant like Og or whether you are a midget, that doesn't make a difference. This would be the same amount in order for a person to be high of karet. If he eats less than that, it's still a misodoraita. Still an Isidoraita, because we say that Chazel eats the Rufe, that even if a person eats a little by little, although he hasn't transgressed the Isur Doraita with the punishment of Karet, he still transgresses an Isur Doraita. And this is the famous machloket between Rabbi Yochanan and Reflakish, where we pass in like Rabbi Yochanan, Chatsi Shi'ur Asur Minha Torah, that half of the amount of what you, doesn't necessarily be half, anything, any amount is still answered from the Torah. Now, says the Gemara, says the, the Shulchan says explicitly, had that we need a date, a big date, this is for the Torah violation of karet, punishment of karet. But there still is a transgression, and we put in brackets in English, a Torah violation if a person would eat anything on Yom Kippur. What about some exceptional cases? So the first exceptional case that we have is regarding a pregnant woman. And here we'll we'll just uh, you know let's let's leave pregnant woman and just go to sick people because we're not going to be able to cover everything. I also want to try and do hilchot uh, arba minim. So let me just go to a sick person. Yeah, the Gemara says source number thirty three. for a sick person. We go to the expert doctors, 
If the expert tells us he needs to eat, we say the person should eat. We remain Shambakim, but if they aren't experts, we ask, we, we say that the sick person himself says he needs to eat. We give him to eat until he says, okay, that's enough. I don't need to eat anymore. And this is brought down in Halakha. The Shukharach rules in Tafresh Yudchet, a sick person that needs to eat. In if there's an expert doctor, even if he's non-Jewish, if he doesn't eat, it could be that his sickness might worsen and he will be in danger. We go according to the doctor and we feed the person. And definitely the doctor says he might die. Meaning, even if the doctor just says that this critically sick person might get worse, that is enough for us to tell him he should eat on Yom Kippur. Furthermore, even if the sick person says, I don't need to eat, we don't listen to the sick person, we listen to the doctor. However, if the sick person says he needs to eat, even a hundred doctors say that he doesn't need to eat. Over here, we, we believe the sick person, the Gemara says, that a person's heart knows best what's going on with their own body. And if a person knows that they need to eat, we listen to them. But says the Mishnah Right? The chole has to tell us that he feels that without eating, he's going to his his physical situation, his sickness, he's going to deteriorate in a very uh, uh, um, and, and, and you know that that's a chance that we can't take. We still have to say to the person, "Are you sure? You know it's Yom Kippur." If he says yes, he's sure. We basically believe the chole and we give him to eat regarding that. Okay, so that is. Um, very briefly, what we said regarding a sick person. I'll just do the shiurim, uh, eating less, what we call, you call the shir. Um, it says, If you are allowed to feed uh, the pregnant woman, the Gemara says before, and the Shulchan Aruch says pregnant woman should fast. And let's say this is a case where the pregnant woman need to uh, need to break their fast or a sick person firstly that we should just give them a small amount of food in order that it doesn't get to the size of what we call the big date although there's an isotora even eating less than that however it's not an isokarate so here we want to minimize the isurim so we start off by giving a small less than what's called a shiur we only give like two-thirds of an egg 
And he should wait how long it takes to eat four eggs. For, for uh, liquids, the shear is very, very uh, personal. It's subjective. We ask a, a sick person before Yom Kippur to fill the one cheek full, like this. And that is the amount that they should drink slightly less than that cheek full in order, that's called the less than the shield. So that's also what they should be drinking. Um, that amount, preferably a person should actually measure it. Ered Yom Kippur. And that, that, that's the amount they know, that they should drink slightly less than that every nine minutes. If they need to, they can drink uh, quicker. If they need to, uh, then they can drink. So the question is, when, when would you think that you need a drink? If you're drinking like... Uh, almost uh, a quarter of a cup every nine minutes after about uh, two hours, a person should be quite uh, very hydrated. So, but did he have a that for me, with me, my wife, she was pregnant and the rab told us that, uh, that she can fast and um, she fasted with twins. And uh, I came back just before Neila, I kept on coming and checking on her the whole time. And just before Neila, she started uh, having co um, contractions. I ran to get the doctor, and the doctor said she has to drink. And she couldn't do the shiurim because I said, you know, this, she said she, she really didn't want to drink. There was, there was literally 15 minutes left till the end of Yom Kippur. She said, I passed it all the time. I'll, I'll wait. He said, if you wait, the contractions are going to become stronger. So she said she'll drink in shiurim. And the doctor said, no, shiurim are not going to help. She had to drink two very, very large glasses of orange juice. I remember the doctor poured a huge glass. She had to drink it. He poured another huge glass and she had to drink it. So that's when the shiurim, so there's certain times where you can't wait. And when you can't wait, so you have to drink straight away or eat straight away. Uh, but if you can wait, obviously it's best to wait as much as possible in the interims, so at least you don't eat a shear, which we said is possibly a heel current. Okay. That is, we've summarized very briefly some major halachot regarding, um, regarding the uh, laws of Yom Kippur. Let's move on very briefly for the next uh, half an hour or so to learn a bit of the halachot of the Arba Minim. We know that uh, straight after Yom Kippur, there's a mitzvah to busy oneself with uh, buying the lulav, buying the etrog, and building the sukkah. In fact, the Gemara says that these are days that we don't even have time to, to sin because we're so busy uh, doing our mitzvot, running after trying to do these things. So it's a big, big bracha. So when a person's going to choose their lulav and etrog, what should they be looking out for? So we'll we'll see how much we can get through. Let's let's begin. The Torah in Vayikra says, You have to take, and this lekicha is going to be very important, uh, halachically, that it has to be uh, belong to us. On the first day. And then it tells us the four species, Priyat Sadar, we have to have uh, the, the citron, the etrog, kapot marim, what we know is the lulav, 
eight avot, right? And we also then have to have the uh, the the the, the <clears throat> uh, what they call the willows, and then we have the uh, sorry, sorry, the the hadasim, and also we then have the uh, the the willows. So you take all of these four, the samachtim lifnei Hashem elokechem shiva yamin, and these are the mitzvah is for all seven days. However. The mitzvah is only for all seven days in front of Hashem. Where is in front of Hashem? In the Beit HaMikdash. So in the Beit HaMikdash, the mitzvah was to take the Lulav and Etrog all seven days. However, if you're not in the Beit HaMikdash, the mitzvah is only on the first day of Chag. So today we have uh, taking the Lulav and Etrog is really only a mitzvah doraita on the first day of Chag. The rest of the, 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 the days, it's only a mitzvah midrabanan. And we're going to see that there are going to be certain uh, conditions and requirements that are only on the first day as opposed to the rest. Okay, let's, let's uh, see. Let's go on to the halachot specifically of the lulah. So the Gemara in the Sechet Sukkah, Lamed Bet, tells us the following shayla. By Rav Papa. Rav Papa had the following shayla. What would happen if the tiomet got split? At this stage, we're not going to translate what the tiomet is. Let's just say whatever the tiomet is, it's got split. So Toshma, so the Gemara says, the Amarabiachanamarabiashabin If the tiomet was removed completely, it's going to be pasul. My love, who are in the nechlaka? So maybe that's even if it got split, it's also says Gemara law. Nit lashani dachasela. Only if it was completely removed, because then it is not a complete, not a complete lulav. However, if it's just split, there's no problem. That is answer number one in the Gemara. Then the Gemara says ikad amre. However, some say, I'm Rabbi Yochanan, I'm Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi. Nechlekat yomet, naseh kemishen itlat yomet upasul. The splitting of the yomet is equivalent to as if it was removed, and therefore it is going to be pasul. And that is how we pass it. So if we know that if the yomet is split, we're in trouble. The question is, what is the tiyomet? And this is a three-way machloket between the The first opinion is explained to us as follows. Briat alin shalulav kachim. The way a lulav grows is kishem delin, delin shnaim shnaim udfukin migaban vegav kol shnei alin adukin huanikrat tiyomet. Each leaf of the lulav is actually folded, and the spine of that fold is called the tiomet. So the lulav is made of many, made up of many, many leaves, and each leaf themselves is actually made up of two parts, and they are stuck together by the spine. That spine is called the tiomet. The Rambam then says, so if the spark have split, then it's pasul. 
Now, which span, which leaf is the Rambam talking about? And the Magid Mishnah explains that if you look at the beginning, the Rambam said the entire lulab is made up of leaves, and each leaf is called the Tiomet. And therefore, says the Magid Mishnah, and this is pretty much explicit in most of the Rishonim, that they understand that according to the Rif and the Rambam, a lulab is only going to be puzzled if the majority of the leaves making up the lulav become split. But if only the middle leaf is split, it is not a problem according to the Rambam or the Rif. That's a big kiddush. However, Rashi says completely the opposite. Rashi says, The middle two leaves where the spine kind of ends, meaning your middle leaf, which is folded over, that is called the tiomet. And what does it mean, tiomet, that the middle leaf is split until it reaches the lower leaves below it? So this is a huge practical ramification, whether we pass it like the Rambam, or Rashi, according to the Rambam, even if I have my middle leaf split, I don't have to worry about it because the majority of the leaves of my lulav are not split. According to Rashi, even the, as long as the middle leaf is split, I'm in trouble. The Ritva adds and says as follows. The Yesh Lomar within Chitat Rashi, when we say that the middle leaf is a problem, when the majority of the middle leaf has been split, but if it's just cut a little bit, uh, split a little bit at the top, it is permitted until it looks like a fork, meaning it's, it's split so far that the two sides are hanging down into two different directions. And then says the Ritva, even if the middle leaf has been cut a little, has been split a little bit, similar to if it was completely removed. And when we said that if it was split down, it's still kosher, that is when it's going horizontal. Right, but <clears throat> uh, but if it if, if it's going down that way, it's going to be problematic. And therefore, says the Ritva, "Ulafize, Raui lachosh, Raui lachosh, kasha sedek lo arkok shu mitrabe b'chol shaya shevaralo lifsol afilu b'miuto." If it's going down uh, vertically. Even if it splits a little bit, we have to be worried. Why do we have to be worried? Because when you shake it, the split is just going to grow more and more. And therefore, Baalei Nefesh should be machmir regarding this. Okay, so we've seen three basic shittas. The first shita is the shita of the Rambam, that you need the majority of the leaves actually to, to be split. But even if, but if the middle leaf is split, it's not a problem. Then comes Rashi. Rashi says, no. The middle leaf is a is the problem, 
even if everything else is still stuck together, if the middle leaf is split, the, the lulav is going to be passive. However, according to the Rashi, it seems that you have to have quite a large area of the middle leaf split. And then you have the third opinion of the Ritva, who basically says that a Baal Nefesh should be machmir even for a little bit because it's going to grow. How do we paskin? How does the Shulchan Aruch and the Ramah paskin? Says the Shulchan Aruch, he quotes the Rambam, and each leaf is that is got a, is doubled over is called the tiomet. If the spines of the majority of the leaves of Malula have split, psula. However, are you allowed? Okay, so that, that's basically how the Shulchan Aruch rules that you need the majority of the leaves to be split in order for it to be a problem. Let's look at the Ramah. The Ramah says, that if the middle leaf is split down until it reaches the spine, that is considered that if it become passive. Notice, and this is the practice of Ashkenazim, that even if the middle leaf is split, it's a problem. But where does it have to be split down to? Down to where it hits the spine. Once you try to take a lulav that isn't split at all, because there are some who are machmir. This was the opinion of the Ritva, who said that if it was even slightly split, it's going to be a problem. And if also, okay, if it's not doubled over from the way when it started drawing, it's also a problem. Now, so let's just summarize. The Shukhan Aruch passes like the Rambam. Basically, as long as the majority of leaves aren't split, you don't have a problem. The Ramah Paskins are crashy, but then the Ramah brings two opinions. The first opinion is that as, even if the middle leaf is split, but it's not split all the way down to the spine, you're good to go. But then he says, that the middle leaf shouldn't be split at all. And that's what we should try and ideally look for. The, um, the Bira Grah says, hold on a second. Who are Rashba Barana Magid Mishra Shebershu Gamken Veloshona Sheni Shebarashi? The second explanation in the Rashi. Viksha Rashba. Let's skip that. Vod Yesh Lomar. Second paragraph. Dafilu Mid Miuta Pasul Dumia de Niktam. Even if it was slightly split, it's going to be passel. Right? And when the Gemara said that it's it's still kosher as until it gets to a stage where it's like a fork, right? So So when it comes down vertically, even if it's slightly split, it should be a problem. So 
So the Vilna Gaon basically says that we should try and make sure that there's no split at all. At all. However, the Mishnah brings a very important stuff. He explains the uh, that the uh, when the grass said you got to be machmir, he was being machmir for the majority of the tumor not to be split. But as long as it's, it's a minority, then there's no read according to the Vilna Gaon to be machmir at all. Right? And this is also opinion of the of the Taz. The Taz says, we bring the Taz, yeah. Here's the Taz. The Taz says, the came and the Zeno Posel Nire the Afbashir Pachot Mitepah and Shums Farahmir. The Taz says if it's less than a tepah, you don't need to be worried about it. Since the majority of Rishonim didn't agree with Rashi, they held like the Rambam in the Rib, that there's no extra Khumra regarding the Middle leaf. And therefore says the Taz, if it's less than a Tefach, Bichlal, you don't need to worry about it. On the other hand, the Chaya Adam says that a person when he's choosing his Lulav, there shouldn't be a split at all. At all. So the bottom line is that if a person has a lulav, preferably you should check that this that the, it's not split. If it's split a little bit, you don't need to worry about it. If it's split up to a tepach, then you need to worry about it. At least for for Ashkenazim, lechatchila one shouldn't take that. But yeah, but one can be somech on it, but definitely not lechatchila. But less than a tepach, uh, most poskim say you don't need to worry about it. Um, and uh, and that, that seems to be the fact of most uh, most of the achronim that lechatchila. Yes, we should try and get a closed uh, closed lulav, but as long as it's less than a tefach, you don't really have to worry about it. Now, there is a machloket between the different poskim. What is the problem if it is split? And I'll just say it outside beforehand, and then we'll, we'll see some of it inside. There, are, there, there could be two possible problems with all of the, the uh, um, four species. One problem is that it's not hadar. It's not beautiful. Anything like the blemishes that we'll see, or I'm not sure we'll get to it, regarding the, the uh, etrog, a lot of the problems is that it's not no longer hadar. If it's no longer beautiful, that requirement of the four species to be beautiful is a requirement for all seven days. And therefore, if it's a problem, even on day two, it's going to puzzle my lulav or my etrog or my hadas, etc. However, there could be another problem. And the other problem is not hadar. The other problem is that it's not shalain or lakihatama. That obligation of of Shleimut is a specific problem for the first day of Yontel. But uh, first day, and if you're in Chutzar, it's also the second day. But in Eretz Yisrael, from second day, if the problem was only a problem of Shleimut and the Etrog or the Lulav would still be okay. 
Now, this is a machloket between the machlokat yomet. Is this a din in according to Tosvot, or according to the Yerim, it's a din in Shleimut. Let's see the, sorry, opposite. According to Tosvot, it's Shleimut. According to the Yerim, it's Hadar. The Magen Abraham Paskin. And if it was severed, it's not considered Hadar anymore, and therefore the Psul is going to be for all seven days. So here says the Yerim that is a problem of which is only a problem on day one. But on the other days, it's not a problem. And however, that is only according to the Yerim. Tosfot argues. Tosfot says it's a problem Mishum Hadar. But the Magen Avram, Paskins like the Yerim. And therefore, Vadai on the second day of Yantav, you don't have to worry about if your, if your Lulav starts separating. Lichore, the whole problem of Nechlekat Yomet is a problem of Lekichat so we wouldn't have the problem on the second on uh, during Kolomoyed if that would be a problem. Okay. Um, let us do one halacha of the etrog uh, before we, we, we have to go. The first halacha is that a sheer etrog katan pachot mikabetsa pasu has to be bigger than an egg. Uh, very rarely do you ever see an etrog smaller than a, a, an egg. And therefore, this halacha is one of the easy halachot to get around when dealing with uh, with an etrog. Now there's a second din, and that is the problem of a grafted etrog. The grafted etrog um, basically is a, the etrog tree is a citrus tree that is, it's, it's very weak. So what they started doing was they started grafting it on another tree and the, the, the trunk of the tree was strong, but it was still a citrus uh, fruit, it was still an etrog tree. The problem is, is that a grafted tree, according to most poskim, is puzzled. So now the question is, what is the status of an etrog? How do you know if it comes from a grafted etrog tree or a non-grafted etrog tree? And the Mishnah tells us, There are three signs to know whether this is grafted or not. The first is, That a grafted etrog tree will look like a lemon, meaning the skin is quite smooth. Whereas an etrog generally has bumps all over it. So that's the first way to, to work out whether this tree is, has been grafted or not. The second is that where the, uh, where the stem of the grafted tree sticks out from the fruit, in an etrog, a real etrog, it, it, it is, it, it's in the recess of the actual fruit. It kind of goes inwards. So that's also a second... Uh, uh, another thing. And the third one is basically the thickness of the, the peel. 
that uh, a, reg a regular etrog has a thick peel and really the, the fruit is very, very dry and, and, and you know, not, not, not much. Whereas when it has been grafted, it's the opposite. It's similar to a lemon where the peel is very thin relatively and the juice of the fruit is the main part. That would be considered a grafted, um, a grafted uh, etrog, which as we said, is gonna be problematic. I just want to mention one last halacha um, regarding the etrog. Um, I'll just say it out loud. We've got, we've got uh, three minutes. Basically, the Gemara talks about a chazazit, some type of blemish um, that tussles the etrog. And the Gemara makes a distinction. If it's on the top part of the etrog where the blossom is, then even one blemish is going to pass over the etrog. However, if it's on the rest of the etrog, you need it to basically be two or three where it becomes the majority of the etrog. If you draw a line between the two or three blemishes and becomes the majority of the etrog, then it's going to be a, a problem. If not, not. Okay. Now, how do you define these blemishes? Because what you often find is you have what we call bletlach. Bletlach is basically what happens is, is that a leaf stuck to the etrog while it was growing and it caused the etrog to decolor. So that, according to everybody, is not going to pass on the etrog. However, there are two reasons given in the retroining between the Trumat Adeshen and the Maril, why, why Bletlach are okay. According to the Maril, the Bletlach are okay because they do not rise up from above the skin, meaning there's a discoloration, but it's not a physical uh, uh, um, growth over and above, uh, jutting out from the etrog. According to the Trumat Adeshen, the reason why Bletlach is okay is because this is the natural way in which an etrog grows. The nafkamina is going to be that according to the Trumatadeshin, even if the bletlach has some type of substance, it's not just the decoloration, it's got some type of substance, it's still going to be kosher. Whereas according to the Maril, it's not. The Mishnah says, one should be machmir to only have bletlach that have discoloration and not that actually have mamashut uh, on the top part, especially on the top part of the, of the etron. Uh, on the top part of the etrog, if you have discoloration, it could be okay. But if it's got discoloration and it's jutting out, there's some substance to it on the top part of the etrog, that would also be, that would be problematic. Okay, I want to wish everybody a Gemar Chatima Please, God, will resume after Sukkot with the, the Shirim. You should have a, a good uh, a good fast. Because Baruch should... Uh, Kabel, all of our tfilot and our tshuva v'chapara, and bezrat Hashem, we should be zochet to be samech the simchat beit hashoeva in Yerushalayim irakodesh with binyan beit hamikdash. Okay, Amen. 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 Amen.